Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. Recently, I had the pleasure of visiting with a seventh grade language arts class from Ridgeview Middle School in Round Rock, Texas. It was a Skype session, and I ran out of time, or they ran out of classroom time for me to answer all of their questions. And they sent me some remarkably insightful questions about the writing process and my work and books and all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for this episode where I will answer all of their questions. Also, please remember that SEPA is still accepting your submissions for this year's SEPA Evie Awards. Go to sepabooks.com for more information. That's C-I-P-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And good luck. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Before I get to answering these great questions, I would like to do a shout out to everyone there at Ridgeview Middle School in Texas, specifically Linda Kay, their librarian who set me up with the Skype session, Melanie Morvan, the seventh grade language arts instructor, and all of the students who participated in my Skype session, Mackenzie, Madison, Jose, Jane, Madeline, Olivia, Kayla, Catalina, Jacob, Corinna, Camilla. And by the way, Camilla is the student who set the wheels in motion for my visit. I met Camilla at an airport while I was traveling well over a year ago and gave her a copy of Water White. And after she finished reading it, she emailed me to ask me when book two was coming out. So we started a conversation. Anyway, thank you, Camilla, for introducing me to your class, along with your other students, Ramin, Lauren, Lily, Avery, Jordan, Allison, Paula, and Grace. Thank you all for the great questions that you sent. And now I will get to answering them. The first question is one I hear a lot. What would you recommend when you have writer's block? I guess the first thing I would say is pshaw to writer's block. I don't really believe in it, although it's obviously a thing since people talk about it all the time. However, I think when people say they have writer's block, they're looking for an excuse not to write anything. So if you actually feel that you have writer's block, you may be blocked about what happens next in your story. You may not know what the next character is going to say, in which case you may just not be ready to write that scene yet. So here's my recommendation. Write about something else. Look at look at your hand. Where has that hand been? Write about that. <laughs> that could that could be a comedy piece. Write a poem, write a haiku perhaps. I have books of haiku starters that might that might help you out. How about taking a walk? Oftentimes, if I feel unready to write my next scene, I'll take my dog Ranger 
out on a walk. And while we're walking, I might come up with the solution to my problems, or I might come up with something else I want to write. So yeah, do some exercise, do some push-ups, do something physical that will sometimes help you get some blood to your brain. It's important to have blood to your brain when you're thinking about what you want to write and where you're going with it. And if you do decide to take a walk or something like that, definitely take a recorder, recording device of some kind with you. I always take my phone with me because it's amazing how many times I've been out and about and and a thought or an idea would come to me that I can use in my writing, maybe in the piece I'm working on or a piece that I would like to work on. So don't let writer's block stop you from writing. Next question, how do you make your characters more real and relatable? This is a great question because it has to do with your character development. I suppose the first thing I would have you do when you're creating characters and you want them to be real is to look at your dialogue. Is your dialogue real and natural or do all your characters sound the same? Are all your characters speaking in complete sentences and speaking in proper English? Probably not good for character development unless you're presenting a teacher character. Listen to the way different types of people speak. If you hear something funny or interesting at a coffee shop or a library or in your classroom, try to remember how the individuals spoke. Write it down. Uh, Again, use your recorder if you have a recorder with you. Listen to people. How about using real people you know in order to develop develop a character that's real and relatable? What is it about people you know? What kinds of qualities, habits, quirks do they have that you might be able to work into one of your characters? A lot of people recommend interviewing your characters before you have them speak or do anything. Ask your characters, and of course you're asking yourself when you do this, ask your characters what their fears are, what's their favorite, whatever, you you name it. Who do they love? What are their goals? What are their aspirations and dreams? What are their insecurities? These are all things that you should know about your characters so you can create them in a believable, relatable way. If you're working on a scene with a character in it that has dialogue in it, read it aloud. Have have other people read it aloud too and see if it flows. See if it feels right. See if there's anything awkward in it. There are sites out there on the interwebs that have great lists of questions you could ask your characters. I'll include one or two of those as links on my website. Next question. What tips do you recommend for coming up with ideas? My response to that would probably be to ask you a question. Have you ever had an idea about something? And where did it come from? (laughs) Um, I really like Neil Gaiman's answer for where he comes up with ideas. I'm going to post a link to his article, but he gets a little bit snarky and he says, I I use the idea of the month club. <laughs> but ultimately, he just says, I make them up 
out of my head. And when it comes to fiction writing, ultimately, that's where ideas come from. They come from your head, (laughs) your dreams. I dream vividly. And oftentimes my dreams will give me a scene or maybe they'll give me a character. I remember a crazy dream I had walking into the house with my family and there was a multicolored jaguar roaming around the house and I just petted it. It was beautiful. It was nice and soft. And then my dog alerted on it that, you know, this thing should probably be in our house. And I remember realizing, oh my gosh, it's a jaguar, shouldn't be in our house. And I opened a door and shoved it down into the basement. Well, we didn't have a basement, but that's how dreams go. Anyway, that character, that beautiful, multicolored, soft creature that came to me in a dream became Thunder, the swirling multicolored jaguar in my Water White series. I get ideas from people I meet. My character Bridger in Water White came from a five-year-old boy. I stopped and asked what his name was and asked his parents if I could use his name. And of course they said yes. And I asked him what his superpower would be if he could have any. And after being shy for several moments, he said, I would build things. Now that's a superpower I never would have come up with on my own. But Bridger with the superpower of building things is a key character in my Water White story. Ultimately, your ideas come from your experiences. So the more experiences you have, the bigger the bank of ideas you will have to draw from. Here's a great question. What troubles did you have along the way of writing your series? And I guess the biggest trouble I have is remembering what I've already written. (laughs) That's one thing. And so if you are writing a series, my suggestion would be to take little notes along the way about significant things that happen in each chapter, rather than having to go back and skim through 295 pages of book to find something to make sure that you're being consistent, you'll have that note and what happens in in each chapter. Another challenge, I would say, is staying consistent with point of view and with tense, whether you're writing in present tense, past tense, future tense, being consistent with that. And it really helps if you have other people read your work, because typically, if you change tenses, you're going to confuse your readers. As for your point of view, your perspective, whether it's first person perspective, second or third, I've written in them all. Again, staying in that point of view and not doing what some people call head jumping, unless you really know what you're doing, that could be confusing to a reader as well. How did you come up with the idea of Water White? I think I mentioned this earlier. I had a dream. In my dream, I was running away from bad guys and I started to fly. It was a very stressful dream and I was flying over the water and halfway across I started to fall. And out of nowhere, a flying frog showed up and said, grab hold. And I grabbed hold of his leg. He got me to the other side of this huge body of water and then died in my arms. The dream went on, and there was a strange old man who said that he was George the Ham Man delivering a package to this weird house I ended up in with people I didn't even know, and George the Ham Man is in my novel as well. Anyway, I shared this crazy dream with a friend of mine, author Carol Bellhouse, and she told me I needed to write a children's book based on the dream. Well, I wasn't ready to write a children's book per se, 
But the idea of writing fantasy, a fantasy adventure based on my dream, you know, having the main character be a 14-year-old girl really excited me. And that was the start of it, just the excitement of writing in a new genre because I had not yet written fantasy adventure. The idea just thrilled me and the rest of book one just flowed out of me with dreams and people I met along the way. And I would take walks with my friend, John Stewart, and he would point things out like the profile of an old man on Mount Massive behind our house, which we would see every day while we walked. He became Old Man Massive, a mountain spirit in my book. And the mountain range itself, the idea that beyond the crisp line where the mountain meets the azure sky, there'd be a precipice, just a drop-off, that idea just came to me during a walk. So again, getting out there, exercising, getting blood to your brain, that's how you get some really great ideas for story writing and storytelling. This next question is hilarious. How could have your first kiss ended? And could you tell us about your first kiss? What was your first kiss like? (laughs) I'm going to ask you to listen to one of my Alligator Preserves episodes called Kisses, Cooties, and Other Scary Things. I'll put a link to it on my webpage. But yeah, I was five years old when I tricked my first boy into a kiss. Well, he didn't kiss me. I tricked him. I called him to me like a little siren I was five. He was probably eight on his awesome bike. He was the cutest boy in the neighborhood. And I called him over and told him I had a secret and he had to come really close. And when his face got within range, I delivered a big old smack somewhere on his face. Don't know where it landed, but I remember just being giddy. And of course, he rode off on his bike yelling, ew, cooties. (laughs) Then there was spin the bottle with a really cute boy with awesome handwriting in fifth grade. And uh, a really wet, icky, gross kiss my freshman year in high school. Ew. Didn't like that one at all. And then there was the one that really almost got me in trouble. I'll have you listen to the episode to uh, to hear all about that one. <laughs> Back to a question about the Water White series. When you wrote your first book, did you plan it to be a series? Or did you just start writing and then decided to make it into a series? That That's a great question. Because... As I mentioned before, Water White Book One rolled out of me over the course of a year. And it ended up being one book with three parts. So I really thought that by the end of part three, I was done with the story and I could have left it as a standalone book. But the bottom line was I had to continue it. I had to explore what was going to happen next with each of the characters and the different situations that developed in book one. So book two, Water White Flux, is out already. And I had to plan that one because once you write one book, and you decide to make it a series, you have to, again, remember what you've done in that book. And I end up in book two with following three different storylines. So I had to make sure that each of the storylines, each of the three, and there are lots of things with three in the series, they all had to mesh well together and end up in a place where I could then write book three and figure out what the grand finale was going to be. So I'm writing book three right now. It's called Water White Breathe. 
And I've decided to break some rules. I'm writing it in first person, present tense perspective. So I have another big challenge ahead of me. I love challenges. And that book will be complete this year. Next question, where is your go-to writing spot? I would say that that depends on my mood and on the temperature in my house and outside. (laughs) Lately, I'm doing a lot of my writing in my dining room. There's really good light in there. And my dining room table is big, so I can sprawl stuff all over it, paperwork everywhere. In the wintertime, I like to write in the living room because we have a wood-burning fireplace. And so I'll sit in a comfy chair, put my feet up, have a little desk thingy on my lap that I put my computer on. And just having the fire going is often inspiring. And then we have this teeny little weird room with dark maroon, maroonish red wallpaper. And I ended up writing my novella, The Hair Raising Truth, in that little red room. It just felt right. I can't write in coffee shops or public places very well because I'm too easily distracted. I don't listen to music because, again, I would find myself tapping my foot or wanting to sing along if there are lyrics or wanting to dance. I really like to dance. (laughs) So I like it quiet and neat. And so far, those three places have been great places to write. I really have to think about this next question. Did being in the army affect your writing style and type of pieces that you write? I'm going to say that probably it helped me with, with the discipline of writing, although I'm also a binge writer. I'm not the kind of writer who gets up at 4.30 in the morning, gets a cup of coffee, and writing from five to noon, and then whatever those types of writers do. I I can't do that. First of all, I'm not a morning person. (laughs) So I tend to write in spurts when I have inspiration. I suppose being in the army helped me with goal setting. I think it's important to set goals for yourself. My friend Carol Bellhouse that I mentioned, she's also an author. The two of us have decided to check in with one another every Monday morning, and we establish goals for the week of what we intend to complete with our writing. And when we call, we check things off, or we have to bump them forward a week. And sometimes that's okay, and sometimes it's not okay. Sometimes it makes you realize that you've got to sit down and get something done to knock it off your checklist. Having accountability is a really good thing, and I suppose that my, my army training helped with that. I haven't really written much about my army days yet, other than a piece I wrote called Battle Dressed Breasts about an international incident I almost started when I was in Korea. I'll have a link to that story too. But um, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll get to writing about my army days. And I suppose that will be a new genre for me. And my goal, after all, is to write in as many genres as possible while I'm still on the top side of the grass. How old were you when you decided you wanted to be an author? Well, I've got to give my fifth grade English teacher, language arts teacher, it was called English back then, a lot of credit for having me write poetry. She was very creative. She'd bring us out to the playground and have us lay down in the grass and look through the blades of grass and then write a poem about what we saw. And she was very encouraging. Then I I kept journals from the time I was fairly young. In my high school years, they became my own shrink. 
I would write down my woes and my fears and my loves and my swooning and my anger and all that kind of stuff. It was really great to be able to do that. My family and friends really encouraged me to write about my experiences. From the time I was little, I would come down in the morning and share my dreams. And of course, my family would always roll their eyes because they knew that they were in for a long story. But hey, dreams turned into water white. So, so there with your eye rolling. Anyway, I always knew that I had books in me and that I wanted to write. It was just a matter of when I would have the time to do it and do it well. The next question relates to this. Did writing start as a hobby or did you have a job when you started writing? And although I suppose you consider journal writing a hobby, my journals from my first year of teaching seventh grade English turned out to be the material I used for the first novel I published called Miss. And I wrote the majority of that novel during a NaNoWriMo session, the month of November in 2012. I wrote 50,154 words. You were supposed to write 50,000 words in the month of November, 30 days. And then it took me till the following March to actually complete the first draft of that book. I taught a few semester courses up at our community college while I was writing that first book. But after that, I decided I really needed to focus completely on my writing if I wanted to make a career of it. That had to become my job. Writing had to become my job. And I am very fortunate to have a husband who pays the bills. And so he said, write your books right away. So I currently don't make any money, but I'm doing lots of writing (laughs) and finding great pleasure in it. To my listeners out there, how much fun is this? Answering questions from an amazing seventh grade class. I hope you might support Alligator Preserves on Patreon so I can continue to have some wonderful meetings with students. Sometimes I travel. I recently went to Denver to visit an after-school writing group there. That was awesome. Go to patreon.com forward slash alligator preserves and see how you might benefit too. Now stay tuned as I answer more great questions from the students of Ridgeview Middle School in Texas. This question harkens back to my goal of writing in different genres. How do you write in a genre that you aren't comfortable in? My answer to that, slowly, and after a, lo- after a lot of research, it helps if you read in the genre in which you plan to write. When I decided to write book three of the Water White series in first-person, present-tense perspective, I read the entire Hunger Games series to get a feel for how the author wrote those books, and it really helped me. Personally, I think it's good when you're not comfortable, because if you're not comfortable, You are learning, and learning is both time-consuming and difficult. I'm a firm believer that something that challenges you is something that will help you grow, something that will be good for you. So just go for it. Work through the discomfort. Do your research. Read, 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 read in many genres. Here's a question about the exposition. What do you do to create a believable setting and beginning of the book? I suppose one easy way to even get around that would be to start something right in the middle of an action in medias res, they call that. That way you're just jumping right into something that's happening, but you eventually have to figure out who the characters are and where they are and what the conflict is. So to create a believable exposition, you have to have believable characters. And I gave you some 
tips on that earlier. You have to have a setting that is developed somehow. Not all stories need a really elaborate world building in order to tell. But if you're working in fantasy or mystery or many other genres, you need to bring the reader into that world. And oftentimes, if you haven't been in that world, you need to do some research about it. Or you need to get the world from your dreams. Just have to somehow remember your dreams. Oftentimes, people will say, I don't dream or I don't remember my dreams. And I'm fairly certain I dream every night. I don't always remember what I dream. And if I don't share my dream with someone right away when I wake up or say it to myself or write it down, I don't remember them either. So some people keep dream journals. I have not been very disciplined about doing that. But when a dream gives me something I know I can use in my work, I remember it. I like this question. How do you prolong stories, make time pass slower in order to add more suspense or volume to the book? And what happens if your story is 23 pages and it's almost over? (laughs) This one makes me laugh because I want to say, if it's over, it's over. When it's done, it's done. Now, if you have someone like a teacher who might tell you, you have to have a 30-page paper (laughs) or a 30-page story, then here are some ways that you can make your story longer. How about a little more character development? A little more description, if necessary. Have more dialogue between characters. Maybe you need to add a new character. I really like a tip that author Stephen James suggests. One of the things he says you should do is figure out how you can make things worse. So look at a scene that you may have written and see how you can make something bad or more compelling or more suspenseful happen with that scene. Maybe you need to go back to the beginning and add a little bit of foreshadowing before you get to the climax or turning point. Maybe you need a little more atmospheric description, but only do these things if it will enrich your story and help move your story along if it'll add to the plot, if you're just adding fluff that doesn't help your character development or your plot, then don't just stick stuff in just to make something longer. This next question is a challenging one. How do you show detail? And I can almost hear your teacher in the background saying, show, don't tell. (laughs) And this is really good advice, but it's tricky to show. So let me see. Let me, let me open what do I up just to a page here and let me let me read something and see if this will show detail. Here's an excerpt of what's happening with Celeste in book one. Unable to see well in the swirling, smelly steam, she strained her ears to determine the success of her escape. The doves, too, were peacefully peering about the strange surroundings. They all remained motionless when the sound of a raspy hiss penetrated the silence below them. It was near. She looked at her gentle friends and trusted they would not give away her hiding place. Please, oh, please, oh, please go away, she whispered, and the doves snuggled in closer to her. After what seemed like an eternity, the demon creature moved along, unable to find its prey in the murky growth. When she could no longer hear its hiss, Celeste checked her compass once more. 
Without a word, she leapt from the enormous tree and worked her way south, silently and slowly sliding through the treetops, not knowing how far in or how much farther she would have to fly. When she feared she would be lost within the depressing darkness forever, she saw a growing lightness in the atmosphere ahead, and her companions briskly took the lead once more. Cautiously she made her way through the last stand of waterlogged trees and lit upon a branch on the perimeter of the wasting timberland. Below her, and for as far as she could see, lay the big water. Holy moly, she whispered. Now, I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it has a lot to do with your setting, right? I, I tried to describe the setting, used some alliterative elements in there. If you know about alliteration, I'm sure you've learned that. I have very little dialogue there, just her whispering a couple things, but what she says shows you something about how she's feeling. So the idea of showing rather than telling... If you have a character who's angry, you shouldn't have to say, you shouldn't have to write, Sally screamed, shut up at her friends, comma, angrily. You shouldn't have to tell me that she said it angrily because it's obvious in the way she's speaking that she's angry. So rather than using adverbs, you know, he did something sleepily, angrily, hastily, groggily, whatever, don't use those adverbs. Show the reader how the character is feeling through what they're saying and what they're doing. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> I like this next question. Well, I like them all. When you're in the middle of writing a story and you get stuck, what helps or inspires you to keep going? My answer? I have, I have a couple answers. One is knowing that I have fans out there who want to read more. That is a huge inspiration. And when I hear from fans, like I did from Camilla, oh my gosh, it just absolutely makes my day. So that inspires me to keep going. Also, my own desire to see how things end. I want to know how my trilogy is going to end. Well, I pretty much know how it's going to end. Um, I want to get there. And the joy and satisfaction of completing a project definitely helps keep me on track with my writing. Let's see, how do you plan out your stories? Do you have a certain process that you follow every time you write? And to that, I say, no, absolutely not. As I mentioned before, book one of Water White flowed out of me. I totally was a pantser for that one. There are pantsers and planners, and you should listen to an episode I just recently did with Annalisa Parent, who wrote a book about pantsing and what that is, you know, basically writing by the seat of your pants, which I did with the first book. I definitely planned book two, but I only planned it loosely. I think I told you I needed to know where it was going and I had three different storylines going. So I I used math. I actually used math with book two. I wanted it to be about approximately the same length as book one. It's slightly shorter. So I figured out how many words I would need and then I divided that by three because I had three different storylines. And I divided that again by the number of words typically I have in each chapter in book one. I wanted to be consistent with that. And then I just had three different sheets of paper. I think maybe I'll take pictures of them and, and post them on my website just to show you what I did. They're a mess, just white lined paper. And I wrote the chapter numbers on 
three different pieces of paper for my three different stories, story lines that would be happening concurrently. And I wrote maybe two, maybe three, sometimes even just one sentence about what would need to go in that chapter in order for me to make everything work. So book two took a lot of planning. Book three, as I mentioned, I'm pantsing it. I'm letting it flow out of me kind of like I did book one in the first person present tense perspective. I know where it's going to end. I just am not quite sure yet how I'm going to get there. Some of my other books like uh, Miss, I planned that basically chronologically because I had the journal notes from my whole year of teaching that class. And so I just, that was, that was pretty easy to fictionalize that account and to add in some extra elements to make it more of a novel than a nonfiction book. I do have a nonfiction book out there based on some blog posts I did. It's called Hunt for Red Meat Love Stories. And I compiled blog posts I did over three years of hunting the wily elk in Colorado. And so I put that together. I wanted to start each one with a quote. So I had to research some quotes about hunting and I've got some haiku in there. So that one was a different way to plan. In my novella, The Hair Raising Truth, I wrote in three days on a real binge. It was a three-day novel writing contest. So I'm not sure if this answer is helpful to anyone at all, because I, I do believe that we all have our own writing processes, what works for us. And as many of you are just starting out with your writing careers, I would suggest trying different ways. Try writing by the seat of your pants. Try doing some planning. Oftentimes, those two will overlap. In any case, explore, experiment, and have fun. Two more questions. One is, what inspired you to start writing? And I suppose the answer to that is, I didn't want my brain to explode with all the ideas and stories that I had in my head and, and still have. My hope is that I live long enough to get most of them out. Also, I had a lot of encouragement from others, from teachers, from friends, from family, and that inspired me to write. And also the idea of completing books, writing things, writing short stories, whatever. Each new project is a challenge. I love challenges. So part of what inspired me to write is to see if I could. And so far, I think I can. This last question is a favorites question. And I'm not a big fan of favorites questions other than what's your favorite color? And my favorite color is green, always has been since the time I even knew what color was. I just knew somehow in my being that I loved green. Eh, don't ask me why, I can't explain it. But the question is, who's your favorite author and what book of theirs? So there's a favorite author question. And I'm going to say, whatever book is holding my attention at the time I'm reading it, because I, I cannot pick a favorite author. I'll give you a list of books I love, but I could go on and on and on with that. Along those lines, I would tell you not to finish books that don't hold your interest. Well, unless, of course, it's a school assignment. <laughs> there are certain things you have to do at certain times of your life, but when you are able to read books that you pick, if in the first chapter, first page sometimes even, it's just not working for you, close it. There are too many great books out there for you to read. And it's not like you're going to go to jail if you don't finish a book. So don't waste your time in something that's a drudgery if you have a choice. 
You also won't go to jail if you jump to the end and read the last page or the last paragraph. I do that sometimes just because I want to know how the author is going to get there. A lot of people think it's illegal to do that, but I'm telling you, it's not. Go for it every once in a while. (laughs) So here's some favorites that just come to mind. Pretty much everything Steinbeck. The Grapes of Wrath, of course, a classic. Um, I read Travels with Charlie recently about Steinbeck's trip around the United States with his poodle, Charlie. It's wonderful, and it's amazing writing. Bill Bryson, I think you might like his Walk in the Woods. It's funny. It's informative. He's got a great writing style. I told you that I recently read Suzanne Collins's Hunger Games to get a feel for writing in first-person present tense, and I loved the whole trilogy. Really compelling. Great writing. Not exactly uplifting, but I'd highly recommend the trilogy. Neil Gaiman, I mentioned earlier, and I have to brag here, I hadn't actually read any of Neil Gaiman's work until Water White Book One, and I think they were talking about Part Two of Book One, was compared to Neil Gaiman's Coraline. So I decided, well, I should probably read Coraline to see what they're talking about. So I got into reading his books, and I love them. Just read A Nancy Boys. Uh, again, I read Coraline, The Graveyard Book. I think you would love. He's a very prolific author. Let's see. What else? Lois Lowry's The Giver, Jack London's The Call of the Wild. You might already have read that in school. Sarah Gruen's Water for Elephants, Abraham Vergesi's Cutting for Stone, Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. That's one I think you would all enjoy. Of course, Roald Dahl's The BFG, anything that he writes. Gary Paulson's The Transal Saga. Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I heard it's quite good, and I need to reread that one. I read that a long time ago. Wallace Stegner's Angle of Repose. You know, these are all over the board as far as genres go. And of course, anything Dr. Seuss. So I don't have favorites when it comes to authors or books. I just love it if a book grabs me, keeps my attention till the very end, and if it's a series, makes me want to read more. So that about wraps up the questions from Ridgeview Middle School students Mackenzie, Madison, Jose, Jane, Madeline, Olivia, Kayla, Catalina, Jacob, Corinna, Camilla, Ramin, Lauren, Lily, Avery, Jordan, Allison, Paula, and Grace. I thank you all very much for your interest, and I am proud of you for what you're doing in your own stories. I hope to visit with you again in the fall to see how you've all progressed. And again, thank you for your interest. Feel free to email me with your questions, concerns, and certainly fan mail. I would love to get more fan mail. Have a wonderfully safe summer and gather more experiences for your writing. Thanks, everyone. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it. Consider supporting me on Patreon and join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. Now, I wonder what kind of preserves middle school students spread on their toast. How about if some of you students out there email me and let me know? I'll report back later. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at Amazon.com.